Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Kirby Hurd. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. When they shot him dead, nobody said he's somebody, someone. When they haul her away, there's no one to say She's somebody, someone She's a mother, a daughter, an angel, a friend She mattered to someone around the bend There's somebody, someone, somewhere, sometime No matter the cause or the crime A mistake with a smack or a suicide pact You're still somebody, someone when he's found in the street, there's nothing discreet But he's somebody, someone He's a buddy, a husband, a brother, a mister, a lover, a son Or maybe a sister There should always be someone in everyone's mind For the somebody, someones we find Arrest for free speech, there's still somebody, someone Some stand up tall, speaking out for us all We're all somebody, someone We're somebody, someone in somebody's life A parent, a child, a mentor, a wife We'll be somebody, someone right till the end We're all somebody, someone's friend We're all somebody, someone's friend 
Was it too soon we parted? Should it have ever started? No guilt or fear, no more tears. I think it is better this way. We had our moments, it's true. Even said, I love you. Thought it could last, but the passion passed. How can it be better this way? Be free. I relish the memory and keep in mind what was left behind. It has to be better this way. Things aren't always as they seem. A path in life cloaked in a dream. Disappear. Reflections never lie when the glass is clear. Finding all the holes you left, fill them in. No regrets. A spark in my soul has now taken hold. I know it is better this way. And that was Kirby Hurd from her brand new release, and we got Kirby on the line right now. Hey, Kirby, how are you today? I am great, Richard. It's so great to talk to you today. It's a pleasure to talk to you as well. Now, this is your first time on our show, and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know an artist. And the best way to do that is to look at your story where you came from, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Kirby Hurd. Well, I'm a, a Midwestern gal. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And um, honestly, I grew up with folk music playing on the hi-fi, um, you know, the Simon and Garfunkel. And I personally got into, uh, listened to, Oh, James Taylor, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Carol King, that ilk. Um, that was pretty much where I started. Learned how to play guitar. I uh, didn't really fiddle around. Like, I wasn't the kid sitting in my bedroom trying to learn how to pick the, the finger-picking part of, or the flat-picking part of any song. Um, and camp songs, that kind of thing. I went to summer camp, and I was a counselor later in life. And... That kind of reinvigorated that part of my folk music scene. I grew up singing in a church choir and uh, probably learned a lot of my, oh, I don't know, I guess intonation or uh, expression in that genre. 
Um, I did take piano, so I learned a little bit of music theory growing up. Um, then I moved down to North Carolina uh, in my mid-20s, I suppose. And uh, I didn't really, hadn't ever listened to country music, didn't really know what bluegrass music was or that it existed. And um, after I'd been here a while, I fell into a jam circle and got my guitar out after I hadn't been playing for 20 years, raising a child and all that, and um, fell into this group and didn't know the songs, but I heard the harmony and I kept, I tried to sing along and um, eventually grabbed my guitar, got it out again and um, started playing along and uh, met a fella, we had really great harmony together, so we started a bluegrass band. And uh, I had to learn a lot of songs I didn't know before, but uh, it really reinvigorated my love of, I just love to sing. Um, I had sung with a couple of guys a few years prior to that, but we didn't really have gigs to speak of. We would do open mics, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but it really did sort of restart that part of my life, and that was in my, well, I hate to give away my age, but I was in my later 40s, I guess. Um, and then I, uh, started writing music and we recorded a couple of those songs in the bluegrass band. Um, that's kind of the short version of it, (laughs) but I've lived, I've lived down here for a number of years and got comfy, comfortable, I guess. Okay. Okay. Now, (laughs) um, let's talk about the new release. Uh, you sure. know, every time an artist puts together a release and they get it ready to go out, they either have a uh, specific goal for it or they have a specific message. What was your goal or message for this particular release? That's an interesting question because uh, I did release my first CD in 2019 um, that's called Mama's Biscuits, and it was a... a a collection of story songs for the most part. And it was really my first getting my feet wet, trusting that, oh, I can do this. I can make a record and people might even buy it. <laughs> um, and this one, when this one came around, I'd written a number of songs over the last three or four years, I suppose. Well, since that one came out, but even some that were written before it was produced. And I really just wanted to get the songs back out there. Um, it, it's There's not really a theme to the CD. It uh, is kind of an eclectic collection of... Um, there are some story songs. There are some tributes to people. Um, there are some rather politically motivated or message-motivated songs. Um, and I think I just felt like I wanted to get back out there. Um, my... Mama's Biscuits was released right before the pandemic, so I really didn't have an opportunity to press it in, in any way. And um, all my, you know, you know, all my all my gigs to push it got canceled. So, um, so it sat on a shelf for a while while I kept writing music. And people say they like my songs and they like my voice. So I thought, well, let's invest in another one of these. So that's kind of how it came about. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about you as a songwriter. Um, when you sit down to begin that process, what is your mechanism that allows you to kind of tap into your muse? Um, I've sort of adopted the notion of free writing or 
morning pages or blind writing some people. It goes by different names. I try to write every morning at least 10 minutes about something. Um, I've gone to find, there's a website where you can get words or phrases as a prompt. Um, I've been a member of various songwriting groups uh, where there's a weekly, either a weekly challenge or a weekly prompt or um, a daily challenge. Um, so I try to just get some ideas out of my head around something. And I'll go back and read through that and collect the phrases that I find interesting or that, oh, this, this is a good hook or this might, this is a great turn of a phrase. And I jot those down. I used to have a collection of three by three squares of paper. I managed to get a small notebook together instead. And then, um, and sometimes I'm just motivated by current events or um, uh, one of the songs on the record, I, I wanted to write about a, a horse that I remembered riding at camp. And it was during the pandemic, and I know people here who have horses, but I couldn't go ride anything. So I, I kind of did a deep dive into YouTube and to listen to the sounds in the stable and listen to the to the, the run of a rodeo horse or um, that kind of thing. And so I will kind of go after some ideas in that way, or maybe not ideas so much as references. Um, I have a song about the flag. I looked up a lot of historical information um, with my co-writer friend Wikipedia and uh, um, so and I use you know rhyme helpers and in, in eventually crafting it into a song um, I will write things in a notebook and then I'll type them into the computer and that's when I really start the editing process um, and trying to create craft it into a song does it have a rhyme sequence? You know, are, how well do the syllables match up? That kind of thing. The technical part. Okay. Now, um, you know, I And find... I do usually start with words. Sorry. Okay. I do usually start with lyrics. I rarely start with melody. All right. Um, now, I find that words and melody are two different functions of the brain. You know, you have the very structured elements of, of lyric where it's a craft. You know, you have to have a story. There's continuity. There's rhyme, there's meter. All of those elements have to really kind of fit all together in, you know, within that lyric. But melody is a different thing. It's, you know, some songwriters like to work off the groove. Others like to work off chord structures. And then others take the lyric and the cadence kind of dictates where the melody should go. What do you do when you start searching for your melodies? I usually play around on the guitar a little bit, or I pick up my phone and find some voice memo that I've recorded into it earlier that I might vaguely remember might fit that lyric. Um, I do get ideas for melody periodically, and I do try to record them into my phone so that I have a record of it. Um, honestly, I used to get most of my melody ideas in the shower or while driving, and during the pandemic, both of those things were reduced quite a bit in frequency. But um, I have quite a few, and I'll periodically just go through and, uh, what was this again? And I'll listen to them. I'm trying to get better about naming them when I save them. But uh, I, it, it's that, or the guitar, the cadence, and playing around with chords. I'm, like I said, I'm not um, 
a detailed finger-picking guitar player, although I'm learning more, but I will at least try some chord oh, progression. Um, I, I did a lot of studying when I first, when the pandemic rolled around and I stopped working and tried to learn more about songwriting. So I've, I've, I'll try to explore some different modes. You know, if it's a darker song, maybe I think in minor and... Um, so I guess it's more chord progressions. Okay. And then I have to make it into my range. So there's that. Now, a lot of songwriters have uh, really embraced technology as tools in their toolkit, whether it's their cell phone to capture ideas or they have a home recording studio where they lay out a song structure and then write to that. What's kind of what are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a songwriter when you sit down to begin to write? Probably my phone the most, um, because I will record ideas into it, and I'll also record the song when I feel like I have something that's finished or close to finished, so I can listen back, and then I can really hear. I can try to listen to it crit critically rather than just reading the lyrics and you know figure out I guess I listen for the prosody does the does the sound follow what I'm trying to convey um, is it is it sad if it needs if it is it supposed to be happy does it sound happy um, that sort of thing I did set up a home studio mostly for I do a lot of online open mics or online performances. And during the beginning of the pandemic, there were a lot of us who that was how we got together was through those different websites. Um, so I've got that going. I don't do any home recording per se. I've played around in GarageBand, but I get too way caught up in the details of things and it takes me forever. <laughs> I'll let the experts do the recording part. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about that dreaded moment that we all as songwriters have come across is that moment where you have to let the song go. You have to give <laughs> it to the band, give it to the producer, declare it finished, at least in that stage, because it still evolves even in the recording process. And even when you go take it out and perform it, you know, it evolves and, and finds its groove. But you got to get to that moment where you make that decision. So what is your quantifier that you like to use to determine when a song is ready to move to that next phase? Mm, deep question. <laughs> I'm getting better at trusting myself. Um, I, I get to a place where I think I'm happy with it. And honestly, a lot of times I have several songwriter mentors uh some are close friends and some are professional singer songwriters um and i'll often tap into them with a what do you think and that's often when i get a, a lot of good feedback on something that i didn't even see oh you're right i have too many metaphors here or um that kind of you know or um i guess um and a lot of times is also, like you said, when you get it into the studio is kind of when it gets finished. Um, uh, the producer that I've used on both my projects is involved in a great way because he's helped me really polish a song. 
and find that finished place. And I appreciate that. Um, and a lot of times it's things that I didn't see or maybe I didn't write an instrumental break into it because I don't play lead guitar. And for the recording, it would do this. And, and when I play it out, well, I could do that instead, you know. So um, it's a little bit of me learning to trust myself a little more and me reaching out to others. Okay. Now, um, of course, when you write a song, that's only half of the process. The other half is going into the studio, which is an art form in itself. Um, and a good song gives you something to say, but its identity is created in that world, in the studio, as well as the identity of you as an artist and your sound, your uniqueness as an, as an artist. When you get into that environment of the studio, what is your process that you like to use that helps you capture your sound? Hmm. Um, I think there's a certain relationship you create with the space there. Um, I've, we've always worked from the scratch track first and then, um, I guess we did the guitar tracks and then the vocals. So once the, you have the foundation, the basic foundation of the song, the lead guitar work and the, and the, the, uh, click track, you know, the tempo. I just, I get those headphones on and I just sing the song from my heart like I'm singing it live, I guess. Um, there's a certain, that's really hard to answer, Richard. Like I said, I just love to sing and I think I just tap into that um, energy or emotion. There, There's some fairly emotional songs that I was very much into and I mean I I hear in my headphone from the producer are you crying <laughs> I said yeah give me a minute and we'll do that again um, and I said I'll, I'll try not to think so much about the words and he goes no no don't do that it, you're perfect where you are and I, you know it's you have to there's times there's a couple of songs when I sing them out live I'm into the song emotionally but I can't really think about what I'm saying or it is too close and I think that's a similar thing. I think I'm just trying to be real in the studio. I just want to be, I want it to be like it's live. I want it, I want you to hear me. I want, I want you to hear my heart. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Now, um, let's talk about the lineup. Who's, who's on this CD with you? Oh my gosh. I got so lucky with some of the other musicians on here. Um, for one thing, John Shane, who is the producer, um, played lead guitar on a few of the um, songs, as well as mandolin. Um, my bluegrass singing partner uh, Bob Height also played mandolin on a couple of so on a song. Um, and F.J. Ventry, who is the engineer and mix um, guru, he plays bass, various types. I had Caitlin Grady on cello. I have um, Alice Hasten and also. Joe DeCos Joseph DeCosimo, both on fiddle on a couple of songs. Um, Laura Lynn Doffett is a wonderful local singer-songwriter who sings harmony with me on a few songs. And let's see, Julie Elkins plays banjo and sings harmony. And my friend Barry Gray also sings harmony. He's also a local here. And um, who am I leaving out? Bill Newton plays 
a wonderful harmonica on a piece. It sounds a lot like a um, um, concertina. And um, FJ plays piano and percussion, I guess, as well as the bass. I think I've got everyone included. Okay. Now, um, of course, once you get something recorded and you get it all, you know, ready as, as you know, uh, a project, you got to get it out. You got to get it to radio. You have to get it to press. You have to create the buzz. And you're working with Adam Dawson uh, from Broken Jukebox Media. Uh, right. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. I'm I'm really glad that I met Adam. I I had the opportunity to meet him in person at Surfa, but I was unable to go due to a COVID exposure. Um, and um, but I met him virtually by way of um, another singer songwriter he represents, and um, so I, I've enjoyed all of our conversations so far. I know he's really pulling for me, and I'm enjoying the relationship a lot. Okay. Now, We're not too far into it yet, but I'm very happy. So. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about the industry. Um, yeah. You know, um, you've been in the business for a while, and you've seen so many changes over the years, as I have, even as a consumer. But, I mean, let's face it, the, the today's consumer has... Um, a new way of, of consuming music that's foreign to, you know, people like us. You know, I grew up in an era where, you know, you, I went out and purchased my music. It was a tactile experience. There was a large album cover. There was liner notes. There were, you know, it was an active process of putting it on a turntable. But today, the consumer has really embraced streaming as a way to consume music. They don't want to store on their shelves they don't want to store music in their phones they want that convenience of being able to find something at the at a, at a whim and put it into their playlists which are now their soundtracks to their life um, mm-hmm. but the problem is is that recorded music has lost its status as a product it's now a service and it's a different mindset from the consumer how has that shift in perception of recorded music affected you as an artist? As an artist producing recorded music, it's been a challenge um, to figure out what medium to produce. The cars and computers don't come with CD drives anymore. No. So there's that. And no, I... I really don't want to put it on an on a flash drive. That just seems so. I don't know, inadequate. <laughs> well, even, um, even the flash drive. I mean, if you if you know someone sees the flash drive, that means that they must now take that music and store it somewhere. You know, true. on their yeah. phone. You know, it used to be they had iPods. You know, right there. Right, and now it's the phone, and the phone has right. a, it's not like the iPod where you had gigabytes of storage. It's it's now more finite, so you know they even don't even want to download anymore or buy yeah. a download. It's a different world, you know. It is, uh, you know. I mean, I guess I enjoy 
seeing that people are listening, <laughs> people are streaming. I see periodic stats, you know, and we all make jokes about that now we can make tens of cents on our music. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it is it is very different. I still have a turntable, and I have records on shelves and i have cds on shelves and i still have cassette tapes but you're right it was i there was nothing i loved better than curling up with the liner notes and listening to both sides of the album and um it's just it, it gets frustrating sometimes when you get a record and the artist doesn't even have their lyrics posted online not that you can I can't understand what they're saying. I just want to go back and read it again. Wait, what was that? That was that was gorgeous, you know. And um, and it it was an experience. Oh yeah, especially those double album covers, you know. Yeah. Now, um, you know the the thing with streaming is it's like this double edged sword. You have that access to uh, potential fans that you would not normally have access to. And that's kind of the, the hook that these companies have on the independent artists is that they have this huge um, uh, fan base, this market base that you can tap into. Uh, on the other side of that coin is that they're not compensating artists fairly for their content um you know the big record companies went to spotify and pandora and they they worked out their deals where right they got a larger piece of the pie but if you look at it logically the bulk of the content that these companies depend on are coming from independent artists not from mm-hmm. the larger record companies and what's happening is, is now we have a business model that is not sustainable. We cannot continue to not compensate independent artists for recorded music and to the point where they cannot recoup their investment anymore. So we're really kind of hurting that um, the independent artists and the music industry's middle class that the group of artists that are out there in the tan van, eating chicken nuggets, touring, trying to make a living out of music, and if they can't recoup at least you know break even on a recorded project, it it becomes hard to justify going into the studio again. Oh yeah. What, what do you think needs to happen to kind of right that ship? Wow. I know it's a deep one. I don't even know. Um, I mean, I like you said. I mean, I have a son who's thirty, and I understand this whole notion of not wanting possessions. Uh, I mean, I guess I understand it. I see it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, so that they don't want to buy CDs or carry things around, or and like you said, the iPod. I, I just don't know what are our options anymore? I think the music industry is starting to wake up. I think some of the less independent, well, not independent artists, but less owned by their labels, maybe, are making some noise. Um, I think they've got, I've read stuff about some of the, 
there was a lot of noise about Spotify. I know that much. Um, and I know that they charge you to listen for a whole lot more than they pay you to play your stuff. Right. Um, so I no longer listen without ads when I go to Spotify to look for something that somebody recommended, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, I guess it's the old big boss owns you kind of mentality again. I don't know how to fix it. Well, you know, there, I read this article in Billboard uh, magazine where they were looking at the music industry, comparing it to other industries in in this country. And what they said is that of the billions of dollars that the music industry generates, only 12% gets back to the artists themselves. And that's mm. including the major label artists. And if you really look at that and compare it to another comparable industry like the sports industry, they get almost 40 to 50% of the incoming revenue going back mm-hmm. to the performers within the sports industry. So there is a huge disparity in this type of a, a business model. And the problem... Well, there's a huge disparity between arts and sports anyway. Excuse yeah, me for interrupting. <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. <laughs> but um, if you... Um, If you look at how the music industry is structured, the reason that we're having this problem is that we are glutted with middlemen. We have, every time you turn around, there's somebody out there with their handout saying, you need to pay me in order to get here. You need to pay me in order to get here. Whether it's an aggregator, a distributor, a streaming service, uh, whatever the case may be, and that compensation that returns to you is no, nowhere near what you're outlaying to these people. Um, so one of the things that I've noticed that's coming down the pike, and it seems to be a huge buzzword now within the industry, is this whole idea of decentralized or decentralizing the music industry. Utilizing things like blockchain-based streaming services. Um, There are several that have been developed that are out there now, like Audius, uh, Emanate, which are basically this um, streaming service based on the blockchain, which is that technology that makes cryptocurrency secure. and. Ah. The idea is is that it is decentralized in the fact that no company can own that service. It is really owned by the artist and the fans. They are the owner and, and they are the ones that control these services. So it, it's more of an artist-fan direct kind of connection. And it's this decentralization that kind of cuts out all these middle people that the fans now can directly connect to the artists and and get their payment in you know what's due for them um, right and they're claiming they're going to pay up to 80 to 90% of the incoming revenue back to the artists themselves where wow. the other percentage is just going to run the nodes within that network what do you think of that as a possible future for the for the music industry? That sounds really interesting. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to learn more about it. I, I, 
it kind of sounds, it kind of strikes me similar to uh, having Patreon for your supporters for some kind of an income stream. Um, but I understand, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's not that at all. But uh, that sounds very interesting. I'd like to learn more about that. Yeah, I, I thought it was, you know, it's an interesting concept, you know. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think happened, um, especially when the pandemic hit, is that a lot of artists started to really utilize social media and and content creation um, mm-hmm. as a way to brand themselves, almost like a reality show where they they kind of give their fans this behind-the-scenes look at their lives. And I think the fans really kind of gravitated to that because, let's face it, over the last 25 years, all we've ever been really spoon-fed on television has been reality shows. Right. That type of content is very, um, you know, familiar to the fan bases. So when you create content that gives the fan that access, that feeling that they're connected to you at a personal level, I think that's kind of the new branding or the new product. Um, What are some of the things that you were doing in terms of, you know, content and social media marketing that's helping you with this new project? Well, I'm kind of not real good at that stuff. (laughs) I'm sure Adam will help me uh, get there. Um, During the pandemic, I did, uh, like I said, like online song circles. I guess I should have mentioned that in how I know I'm finished, too. I go to various songwriter circles, and that's a really great place to try something out with um, good folks who do the same thing to critique. Um, but I did some of those, and they got posted on via social media. So I guess it sort of let some people in who didn't know me see a little bit of um, backroom work. Um, but I haven't done the kind of thing you're talking about. I'm not... I, I, this, I don't know. I, the whole... Um, Putting a spotlight on myself that way is just kind of new to me. So um, maybe I'll be able to get there this time. I, I know I need to do something to promote this thing. So, Okay. Well, all right. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, <laughs> and talking with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Screw the Navy, so we're going to have some fun. Tonight. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. 13 stars, to to today. 13 stripes, 13 honored folds at the end of life. Halfway there, at sea, on land, the last farewell from our flag so grand. I was raised at Prospect Hill, an ensign of man's free will high above red stained fields i wave a majestic shield when i honor those who died i bow midway with respect pride gloves and hat in place a stoic guard a sacred space tradition lingers 
years on and on I'm halfway there all year long So weary grief appears in thirteen folds A thousand tears Hardware clangs the wind's own bell Twenty-one shots, sulfur smell Unseen flag of death above unfurled For those we loved Halfway there, seeing children flee There's chaos, cacophony So many lives in war and peace Lost to bullets, disease, police On and on, I'm halfway there all year long. So weary, grief appears in thirteen folds, a thousand tears. I race to the peak for an instant there, then retreat halfway in despair. This is now so commonplace. Used to be a hallowed space How I long to have a voice To plea for life Regain my hoist Do they see? Do they care? Seem in vain To rise up to the top once again Do they see? Do they care? Halfway there From our home along the Tay we were weavers all by trade Thirteen children born to our family Working long hours for low pay We knew no other way Seemed a destiny we could never leave We were schooled until age ten then to the mills were sent In the damp and dusty jute works of Dundee We spin the jute and flax Weaving linen cloth and sacks T'was the weaver's life in 1883 One by one Six angels flew, my own twin brother too Five of those souls never reached age three When they called our mama home 
Papa felt so all alone Six months after he had buried the last babe One day my sister sailed off to America Her bow was waiting there to take her hand I tried to be the mum to my siblings left so young And dreamed about a life in that new land Of the land they'd come to dwell Far away from the ocean's chill and roar With other Brits abreast In a place called Midwest I should join them Leaving Scotland evermore I worked 15 hours a day So my steerage I could save And summoned fearlessness To go alone And take my leave of old Dundee Farewell to the cold North Sea And the poor loom weaver's life I'd been bestowed When my passage I did earn I vowed to ne'er return Start anew far from the dismal factory I stayed by sister's side With hers I raised my child They were all I had to call my family I had cut the ties that bind Leaving kith and kin behind And when sister took her daughter to Dundee I couldn't bear the pain to visit there again Once I'd found the strength to leave that poverty Mama died when I was nine I'll never forget her smile My young one had her same smile from the start Though I had traveled on And left our family home Scotland will e'er be in my heart Gonna rock the shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Yeah. 
Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make. 